Hey guys, this is Don Airy from Deep Purple and you are listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 248, Gary Moore, Back on the Streets, and coming to you from the warming suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, I'm your co-host, John Nighty Nighty Matola. <laughs> and coming to you from the outskirts of John Matola, I am Rich. Happy birthday, Roger Glover Shaler. Oh, that's right. As yeah, as we record, uh, giving away how ahead we are. <laughs> <laughs> let's not let's not tell people what Roger Glover's birthday is, just to give the illusion that people are like, "Oh, is this birthday January twelfth? Yeah, we record. It is a matter of fact. No. <laughs> yeah, happy birthday, Roger. Um, yeah, at this point, happy belated. Right, yeah, happy right. belated birthday, Roger. Yeah, yes, we're very late on the birthday. <laughs> he's now he's now seventy eight years old in four months. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, are you having some sleepy time tea? Are you going to fall asleep on us today? I mean, that's that's our uh, that's our Gary Moore inside Ooh. joke, isn't it? So that's right. <laughs> actually, I don't need nighty night tea. All I need is to put on some Gary Moore, and I'm out <laughs> like a light. Yes, per- perhaps we should have the background on that because um, that came up recently when we talked about uh, doing doing a Gary Moore episode. So <laughs> you were like, "What? You don't like Gary Moore?" And I was like, "No, I guess you haven't heard the I guess you haven't heard the joke yet." So I mean, have we told it on the show? Or I don't no? think we did talk about it on the show. I don't know. We may have referenced. So who knows? But we're uh, we're coming back from a show. What show did we go see? I think oh. it was um, 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 what was it? The the Boston show. Um, oh yeah, 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 guy, yeah, yeah. Um, Barry Barry Goudreau. Barry Goudreau, yeah. Yeah. So we were coming back, and we, we had a full night or whatever. I think you worked that day too, or whatever. And so it's not mm-hmm. uncommon for somebody to fall asleep, but you know, we were coming back. It was probably about an hour drive, and. We we're listening to tunes and talking about different music. And I'm like, somehow we got on like Gary Moore or whatever. I'm like, oh, I love Gary Moore. And, you know, one of my favorite solos. And so I put on the song and I'm like, yeah, you know, check out the solo. And he's like, okay. And then he didn't say anything. And I look over and his head's back. His mouth's <laughs> wide open. He's like, he's out like, out like a light. And I'm like, so you don't find it that interesting? He's just, he's just out, out. <laughs> like, and we were, uh, we were like, we were close to my house. So I was reporting. I'm like, hey, hey. He's like, what? What? Like, I don't know. I started playing a Gary Moore song and you Z'd out. You're like, no, no, it was good. <laughs> so- if you had to get him on a plane against his will, like Mr. T and the A-Team, you'd just play some Gary Moore and Apparently. just bring, drag him with his feet dragging on the ground onto the plane. And then he's like, because then, and then I, of course, we told the story like five times to people. And he's like, you know, people are going to think I don't like Gary Moore. He's like, I was just tired. Yeah, I think he doesn't uh, like yeah, waking up at probably like 5 a.m. that morning. And, then and, going and, that's to see my, and that's my go-to, too, is just 
denying that I fell asleep. No, 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 it was good. It was good. <laughs> That's like my mom. My mom has never slept. You should be yeah. like on the couch, mouth open, snoring, and then just you, resting my eyes. Hey, mom, no, I wasn't <laughs> sleeping. I was like, oh, okay, That's a funny way of showing it. <laughs> but then how were we able to like shoot all those Cheetos from across the room in your mouth? <laughs> oh man. Mm. Well, folks, hey. We are 100% listener supported the Deep Purple podcast. And if you get some value from our show, please consider giving us some value back. You can support our show a number of ways. One is by leaving us a five star review on Apple Podcast. You can buy some merch at our Etsy store. And you can also become a patron on Patreon or on PayPal for as little as $1 a month. Doing so gets you access to our ratings spreadsheet as well as our patrons only Discord, where it's filled with wonderful people uh, chatting about mostly Deep Purple, sometimes other things. Um, and you will get real-time updates as to when uh, a Deep Purple song is playing on Sirius XM. So you can go tune into uh, Deep Tracks with the Gardo, and he will uh, he will let you know what song's playing. You can also donate on Cash App, dollar sign DPPOD, or support us on Kofi, or do one of each. You know, Patreon, PayPal, Cash App, Kofi, one dollar on each. We'll probably get like fifty cents from all that after all the charges are taken out. But hey, um, use any method that works for you. Um, we would like to, before we get into today's, the meat of today's episode, thank our executive level patrons coming in at the in memoriam tier. We have Gerald Jerry Kelly at the, where is it here? At the $25 Uncommon Man tier, we have Ovis Nakvi and Purple Maniac. And at the 15 Squid tier, we have the one, the only, Alan. At the $10 Good Doctor tier, we have Dr. Mike Catan. At the Turn It Up to $11 tier, we have Clay Wambacher, Frank Tealgard, Mortensen, Mickelstein, Will Porter, PhDPP. At the $10 Someone Came tier, Ryan M., Jeff Bryce, Victor Campos, Better Call Saul Evans, and Peter from Illinois. And at the spookiest tier of all, the Hughesoween by 2033 tier, we have Fielding Fowler. The abridged <laughs> clip still quite long. <laughs> At least you heard it this week. <laughs> so I don't usually like pay very close attention because, you know, you hear them each week or whatever, but yep. a couple questions on the ain't too proud to beg. Yep. Maybe time to switch it out for uh, the temptations. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I had a couple of uh, ain't too proud to begs there. Or the um, stones, I guess, or the stones version. Yep. Good version. Um, but the someone came to your yep. really strike me as dirty until just now. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people in it. <laughs> and thanks to you, uh, neither did we until now. <laughs> you know, actually, I, yeah, now that you mentioned it, I never, never thought of it that way until you just said it. I'm like, how do we miss this for so many episodes? Yeah, right? we don't want to talk. Well, because <laughs> Rich didn't bring it up. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to talk about the the the, uh, the secret benefits on Patreon. You, you'll unlock at the $10 tier. <laughs> um, uh, if, that must be a separate Discord chat room. That yeah, that's back in. channel. <laughs> Did you check out uh, OnlyFans.com/dpp? Uh, another another way you can support the podcast. Another way you can support the podcast. <laughs> Yay! Uh, oh boy. Um, 
And John has uh, a camera on his feet as we speak. Yes, yes. It's all feet pictures. <laughs> <laughs> if you like the Ringo feet pics, you're going to just love crusty <laughs> Ringo <laughs> feet pics. Maybe it could be a, just pictures of feet and you have to guess, is it John or Nate? <laughs> oh my. Um, I feel like it would, hang on. I feel like it would be easy. I don't know why. Uh, do you have a Roman toe? <laughs> no, no, I have, my feet look pretty normal. What's a Roman, a Roman toe or a Roman toe? A Roman toe. Isn't like a Roman toe when you're, when you're, your index uh, finger toe, whatever they call that is longer than your, your uh, big toe. I didn't know no. that's what it was called. No, well, I know I, what a, I know what a hammer toe is. Hammer toe. That's when the second one's kind of bent to the side. Oh yeah, yeah. Like a hammer. My um, I mean, my brother-in-law my has right his last pretty... two toes are webbed. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he has a he he was he he has tattoos and he was getting a tattoo. So he said, "Could could you throw this one in for me for free? I've always wanted to do it." So he has a it's like a a pair of scissors with the little dotted line going down the web. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's pretty good. Very funny. <laughs> That's good. He he wanted it for years, so they just threw it in. He's probably getting like a six hundred dollar tattoo, and they just threw that one in for free. Um, so yeah, if you want to check out any like minded podcasts, check out deepdivepodcastnetwork.com for all of our wonderful shows on the network. And speaking of shows, there's a couple of upcoming shows. Um, I have tickets to both, so if people are looking to come, contact me, and uh, if I have any left, I'd be happy to to sell you one um, at, a, at a, you know, only a 50% markup. Just kidding. Um, one is the Glenn Hughes Live at the Arcata St. Charles, the pickle capital of the world, um, February 10th, 2024, John's birthday. John may or may not be in, in attendance, looking like maybe not. By our next episode, we'll have we'll definitely let you know for sure, because um, there's a huge amount of time between now and when we record that one. <laughs> yeah, like boy, he's got to decide kind of far in advance. Yeah, so I, I'm hoping in the next like you know month and a half, John can decide um, if yes. he's coming or not. And they're playing with enough's enough and bad marriage. Um, so check Chip, out Chip, Chip can give John a ride over to the show. That's what we that's what we've been saying. Yeah, <laughs> yep, wherever, wherever wherever I am, I I'm expecting a ride with him. I'm expecting the special uh, Chip Valet service. Um, <laughs> Chip. <laughs> Chip Valet. It's not like Chick Fil A. Um, <laughs> That's then, then we've got the Vi Satriani tour, touring for the first mm. time as a duo. Um, Chicago Theater in Chicago, Illinois. I got four tickets for that one, and a nice little uh, little curvy booth section in the mezzanine. April eighteenth, twenty twenty four. So if you want to join us for that. John seems a little more likely to go to that one, but if John is the selling point for whether or not you're coming or not, and hey, if you want, I'll have links in the show notes to buy your own tickets, but um, we're, uh, we've got some friends in the area we might have come join us, so I may be, pre- I may be uh, offering these tickets and they might be long gone at this point, but just letting you know, um, I will be at both of those shows. John is uh, TBD uh, on both, so hopefully we'll see you there. All right, so here we are at the one and only Gary Moore's sort of first solo album. Um, what is uh? So we we know a little bit about John's background with Gary Moore. <laughs> right, Rich. What is what is your background with Gary Moore? You know, I was trying to think about that because I knew you'd ask me that, and I, as best as I can remember, I was heavily into my Deep Purple days. 
And uh, I met a kid from the next town over, like a, which I know doesn't sound like a big deal now, but back then, like to meet somebody that wasn't in your town was kind of a <laughs> it was big like deal. It's like meeting a foreign like, exchange student. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> you're whoa, from you, where? <laughs> yeah, holy man, you're like four minutes from my house. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I don't, somehow we, you know, became friends or whatever, and you know, like music, you know, liked a lot of the same music or whatever, and we were hanging out and. I was talking about a lot about Deep Purple. He's like, oh, you said something about Gary Moore. I'm like, I never heard of him or whatever. He's like, you, ne- you never heard of Gary Moore, like Tim Lizzie and stuff? And I'm like, no. I'm like, you know, boys are back in town and that's it. And so he reached over. He had like the big tape cases like we all did at the time. And he pulled out a couple of Gary Moore tapes. He's like, here, hey, take these, listen to these, see what you think. I think it was Quarters of Power and Victims of the Future, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I was sold. Like, I was like, all right. I like this guy a lot. And so, you know, like everything else, I, I tried to buy up whatever I could and, and, and I got more and more into him over time Then you know, he went the blues direction. I, I, I continue to follow him pretty much up until he died. You know, I'd always check out his new stuff. I mean, the blues stuff was excellent, but it got a little redundant to me. It was just mm-hmm. sort of a lot of albums of the same thing. Um, you know, probably the, the 80s stuff is the, still the stuff I probably like the best. Um, but this one, I didn't even know existed mm-hmm. until, and I don't think you could get it. I mean, it's out of print probably. That's probably why I couldn't get it. So I knew some of the songs on it and still like, you know, I was looking at the track listing. I recognize some of the songs, but some of my, I, I don't know at all. And um, like you said, it's not, I mean, it is his first solo album. Technically he had the Gary Moore band album, mm-hmm. but that wasn't, again, I, I don't even think I've even heard it. I'd have to go on Spotify, see if it's there because I, that was never available anywhere either. Yeah, and it's quite a few years before this one. It's like, what, five years earlier or something? Yeah. Um, and they kind of like call, it seems like this in the Gary Moore chronology for what I, as I understand it, this is kind of considered his first real solo album. Right. And um, he's part of the, uh, he's part of the, uh, the neighborhood crew. He was um, Roger's neighbor, I believe. Um, was he really? Or Ian's neighbor. Yeah, it's one, one of their neighbors. I think it was I think it was Roger because he said he came over and he played on a song for him once, which I probably am not supposed to talk about, but I did hear and it was pretty friggin' amazing. Hopefully it'll get released at some point. Oh nice. Um but he yeah, I think he was lived close to like Lord and Pace and I know he lived close to Harrison because that's how Gary Moore got his shot in the traveling Woolberries. Yeah, that's what he he, uh, he was on um what's the uh <laughs> My Baby. My baby. Um, more so, uh, more was in a band called Skid Row, which you may have heard. They have that that song "18 in Life." Um, wrong, this, wrong Skid, wrong was, Skid Row. Wrong Skid Row. So, um, so yeah, apparently there's like, a, so they were. Um, don't don't laugh now, but um, Gary Moore and, and Phil Lynott, uh formed this band Skid Row, and they they shared an apartment in a place called Balls Bridge. So uh. don't. Uh, I don't know. Sounds funny. <laughs> Which was a neighborhood so in the Dublin. Question is, did it get its name? Yeah, <laughs> did it get its name like that lock bridge, like where they put the locks on the fence. Yeah. <laughs> they just hang balls <laughs> off of the <laughs> the balls of their enemies. Um, I don't know where I got that name from. Um, 
So they, uh, depending on who you ask in the American version of Skid Row, uh, Sebastian Bach claims that Gary Moore sold him the rights to the name and everyone else in Skid Row is like, he's full of shit. That never happened. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to believe everyone else in Skid Row uh, as far as how that story goes. Um, and then Phil uh, left the band to start Thin Lizzy. Um, in 1974, the guitarist Eric Bell left the band, and Gary joined briefly, recording a few songs and left, left after a few months. Um, Moore went, did a few other projects, and then rejoined Thin Lizzy in 1977 uh, when Brian Robertson injured his hand in a bar fight. Uh, and he recorded the album Black Rose, a rock legend with Thin Lizzy before leaving again, uh, allegedly declining an offer to join permanently. Um, and then uh, shortly after that, he got a deal to do his solo album, uh, his second album after his 1973 album Grinding Stone, which was billed as the Gary Moore Band. And at the time, he was recording with Phil on Phil's solo album, so they were kind of sort of trading off. Uh, he helped Thin Lizzy when they had a... Uh, they needed a replacement. He uh, helped Phil with his solo album, so Phil came over and returned the uh, f- returned the favor along with Brian Downey, who's on this album as well. So you've got on bass John Mole, who Gary Moore had worked with in Coliseum Two, which had just kind of wrapped up. Um, uh, Phil Lynott, obviously on bass and vocals. Uh, drums, Brian Downey, and then Simon Phillips also on half of the tracks are Simon Phillips on drums. And uh, Chris Sangaridis, who produced the album, said, uh, Gary asked me if I knew any drummers, so I got Simon Phillips in, who was only a young kid at the time, but who I had worked with on a Jack Bruce album. And we did the bulk of the album in a week, all jazz instrumentals. Then Gary came in with his ghetto blaster and played me a song uh, done with a drum machine, keyboards, and a guitar solo, and said, what do you think of this? And that track would later uh, become uh, one of the tracks on the album we'll talk about later, the last track on the album, actually. Um, so he knew Simon Phillips from this project, and uh, we've talked about Simon Phillips a million times. He played on uh, the Elements album by Roger Glover. He played on uh, David Coverdale albums. Um, what else did he play on uh, that we've covered so far? I'm trying to think. I feel like his name comes up repeatedly. A lot. Yeah. yeah. But phenomenal drummer. Um and then, obviously, Gary Moore on guitar and vocals, and Don Airy on keyboards, organ, and piano. So um, that's kind of what you got. So you got a little bit of a little bit of Phil, a little bit of uh, Gary Moore on vocals, and it's kind of a an amalgamation of a bunch of different things that were kind of going on at the time. So what we'd originally talked about when we were going to do this is doing corridors of power because the links between Deep Purple are even stronger there. But then we said, hey, what the hell? Let's start at the beginning and do the technically first Gary Moore album, and we'll work our way up to the, you know, the two albums that feature both Don and Ian Pace. Uh, engineering and, and production, then, and then and then Glenn Hughes, and then Glenn Hughes as well, right? Um, Chris Sangridis uh, produced it. He worked at Morgan Studios. He worked with Thin Lizzy, Judas Priest, Halloween, Anvil, the wonderful Anvil. Uh, somebody named Ingve Malmstein. And uh, Tigers of Pantang. Pantang. Okay. Tigers of Pantang. Yeah, there you go. Um, Wasn't that, um, what's his, doesn't Sykes play with them? Yeah, I think he does. Yeah. yeah. Um, And then what else do we have here? 
Oh, he also worked with uh, Depeche Mode, Tom Jones, and the Tragically Hip. So kind of a, ver- ver- a varied uh, mix of metal, hard rock, and then also kind of pop stuff. Yeah, but not unusual. Nope, nope. Um, <laughs> that was a Tom Jones. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's not unusual. <laughs> it's not unusual to produce pop and rock. <laughs> um engineers uh, they all have little nicknames so we get andrew supertype warwick mark trs fergard um mike victim dutton mike copper bolt hedges perry <laughs> peewee morgan and simon reverend wakefield no explanation as to what those mean i'm sure they <laughs> meant something to them write in if you know um, okay, and with that, we'll get right into the album cover here. So here you have a cover of Back on the Streets with uh, Gary Moore being, looks like, released from prison. A, rele- a release from sort of, by some sort of constable there. Um, looking very well-dressed for somebody. I don't know, Rich, do people usually dress that well when they're let out of prison? <laughs> <laughs> No, and they, <laughs> they, and they usually don't give them back the guitar either. Yeah, <laughs> and they don't they don't they don't give them a um, you know a complimentary skinny tie when they're when they're let <laughs> out. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, they don't usually uh, release them right to the hooker that's waiting for yeah, them. There's like, there's like a hooker waiting around. <laughs> I was like, here you go, right where we ca- caught you. Sorry for the. Uh, All right, and here's uh, five bucks. We promised you. And have fun. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, the HM Prison Wormwood Scrubs, nicknamed the Scrubs. It's a local prison located beside Hammersmith Hospital on Duquesne Road in the White City of West London. So the, it's operated by His Majesty's Prison Service. So, or Her Majesty's probably at that point. And just looking at that door, it looks like it's probably pretty unpleasant. Yeah, it doesn't look like a great place. <laughs> it looks like it's mm. been there a long time. Yeah, yeah, it looks like maybe an upgrade on the door might be in order. It seems like it would be like if you hit it enough. Hard, well, maybe it's probably maybe it's old enough. It'd probably be impossible. You break your shoulder trying to bust it down. Yeah, it's one of those. that's like twelve feet thick. Ooh, on the uh, on the um, on the list of the uh, on the on the Wikipedia page is a list of notable inmates, but it doesn't list Gary Moore. So I don't know <laughs> what happened there. Um. So, yeah, kind of an interesting uh, album cover, Back on the Streets. He's been l- released to the streets with his white blazer and his skinny tie and his <laughs> nice bright white shoes. On the nose, they say. Yeah, pretty pretty on the nose. Um, then uh, on the American version, it was him kind of on the by the train tracks, a little bit more of a close-up. And I did read something that, you know, he has this scar from a barroom fight on his face, so most of his pictures, like on album covers, are kind of more further off. But this one's uh, obviously a super close-up. Um, there's a picture He's of his guitar. Sporting his Joey Ramone look. Yeah, right. He yeah. does look very Ramonish on this. <laughs> yeah, that's I was looking at it. I'm like, who does he look like? Yeah, he got reminds the, me of someone, the, but that's it. The glasses, the hair, the leather jacket. He's too skinny for that big Irish head. <laughs> <laughs> He'd... Um, then you've got uh, back on the streets, the back cover here, his guitar case that he was able to take out of prison um, with all the uh, song titles, record stuff there. And that's a worse quality version of the album cover that we don't need to look at. So there you go. What do you think of that album cover? 
I like it. I, I think the guitar case is really uh, cool. I like that kind of uh, weathered. Yeah. I've seen the road. I have my personal uh, stickers on it. I've seen some shit kind of uh, thing. I like it when musicians have that for a case, a guitar or something, because it shows character. It's not this brand new, you know, this is more impressive because it's been, you can tell it's, uh, he's he's brought it around. Yeah. It's- Although that string for a handle probably cuts into your hand after a while. <laughs> it looks yeah, like it, that's it's, not... it's tied up like a box you'd get at the bakery. <laughs> it's like got the yeah. it's just looped around the case and then he's holding it. He's he's got he's just got 12 crullers in there. There's no guitar. <laughs> um but yeah, it's it's uh yeah, it's got Still all the stickers on it like when Bugs Bunny like goes around the world real fast and has the luggage and it's got all the stickers from all the countries. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, but that's that's. I think that's a cool addition. Uh, makes for an interesting back cover as well. Yeah, I like that. That was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a little on the nose, but I. I mean, I kind of like it. I mean, put a cop on it. I like it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> that's a constable. Yeah, um, I need the. Uh, I, I need that patch for my collection. His ma- <laughs> His ma- You need the His Majesty's Prison Service patch. Actually, I think I have that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The scrubs. All right. No scrubs. All right. What uh what do we have next? That oh yeah, that album cover was designed by Cream, who did like a million different album covers, Bay City Rollers. They did a couple deep a couple of like the deep purple album covers, like between when they disbanded in seventy six, like they did uh um Made in Europe and I think they did like what was that power station album? Um they mm-hmm. did Black Sabbath, Uriah Heep. They did, I think, the first David Coverdale album. So that uh, Jimi Hendrix, they were around for a while. They got hundreds of album covers. You can look up at Discogs. And the photography on this was by Chalky Davis. Well, I think it's pronounced Davis, who did album covers for Thin Lizzy, Stray Cats, Mike Oldfield, many, many more. Um, it's amazing that, that that was a thing. I mean, I, it can't really be a thing anymore, right? I mean, I guess they must have graphic artists and designers that do that stuff. But I mean... I think for the most part, it's the artist just like, yeah, use this picture. Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean like the actual photography or? Well, or not the, the actual photography, but no, like the design. This is like album art design yeah. and all that. Like, I don't know, maybe it's just the people I listen to, but it just seems like we'll take care of that. We'll decide what goes on the cover. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, it was like, it's kind of like a lost era of like right. th- these huge, um, uh, I don't want to say factory huge like uh, firms that would design album covers and presumably mm. I'm sure they did marketing and ads and all sorts of stuff too. But, you know, just pumping out hundreds of album covers for bands and, you know, then you, you start seeing a lot of connections right away with all the bands that they did or obviously bands that knew each other, had similar managers, all that sort of stuff. They find a place yeah. that does a good cover and they go to them. I just I pictured Darren from You Witch sitting at his desk and like, <laughs> hey, what do you think of this album cover? <laughs> <laughs> Whip your nose, make it good. <laughs> yeah, make this album cover not suck. <laughs> oh, Sergeant Pepper. Um. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's kind of it. I don't know. Should we thank some patrons and get into the music here? Sure. Yeah, let's do that. And with the exception of one song, I am not super familiar with this. Um, so... We will have yeah, to. Nor am I. And, and I, I'm a fan, but like I said, I know two or three of them just from like compilation albums or live albums, but this album escaped me all those years. Yeah. And I only, you know, I heard his, some of his Thin Lizzy stuff and I've uh, 
always, whenever I you know see a video of him on YouTube playing or whatever, I always just wow, amazing guy. I know his Coliseum stuff a little bit, um, but I don't. Uh, I, I never like got super into his catalog or anything, or did, but but as somebody I've always like admired and been super impressed with his playing. So um, it's interesting. I'm getting into him and starting to listen to really listen to his albums, and I picked up that album back in whatever last February or whatever when we were in. Um, Philadelphia to see Deep Purple picked up uh, that album and really dig dig his stuff. So uh, interested to get which into some of this earlier stuff. I forget. I forget which one did you pick up? Oh, Carters of Power. Oh, okay. The American. So and and we should probably mention that the current Deep Purple guitarist Simon McBride is a massive Gary Moore fan. That's right. That is his uh, like that's his idol. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting, and I always thought that Gary Moore would have been a great um, player in Deep Purple mm-hmm. because he he has that feel, he has that edge, he, you know what I mean? He he kind of covers all those bases. And then I changed my mind when he did the Bruce Baker and Moore album, yeah, um, where they tried to recreate Cream because that's all they did was like, all right, let's do a song that sort of sounds like White Room, let's do a song that sort of sounds like this, and yeah. It worried me that if he did get into Deep Purple, because I, I don't know if there was talk about that at the time or not, but maybe I was just talking about it. Like, hey, it'd be good to replace Blackmore. Um, <clears throat> that it would just become a caricature of Deep Purple. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's a, a legitimate concern. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, from what I've, what I've heard of him, an incredible player. So uh, let's thank some patrons and get into it. At the $7.77 Keep It Warm Rat tier, we have Michael Vader. At the $6.99 New Nice Price tier, we have Spike the Rock Cat and Sugar Tea. At the episode $6.66 tier, Steve Coldwell and Arthur Smith. Getting support from the patron Arthur Smith. Anton Glaving and Charles Meadows. At the $6.65 Almost Evil tier, Kenny Wymore, Michael Bagford, and Richie Sucksmith. At the $5.99, the nice price tier, Robert Smith and Carl Helberg. And at the 60 kroner Scandinavian Knights tier, we have Newt Martin Johansson. At the $5.55, what's going on here tier, we have Richard Fusey. And at the $5 Moneylender tier, we have John Convery, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, Jesper Alman, Alexi the Perfect Stranger Slepikoff, Kev Roberts, Percival Frequency, Scott Zerns, Cynthia Doobie, Raf Kaff, and Coyote Bongwater. All right, thank you to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple Podcast. So... Um, here we go on it. And every song you've got kind of a, a, a different lineup or a lineup worth mentioning. And it's worth mentioning that the written by credits and you know what, let me open the album cover because I don't remember it or the album album back. I don't remember saying it on the back of the album, but on Discogs anyway. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. On the back of the album too, Cam- uh, Campbell is listed as a co-writer on all the Gary Moore songs and Campbell was, uh, Donna Campbell, as we'll get into uh, Gary Moore's girlfriend at the time, um, so she gets a she must have helped with lyrics on on the Gary Moore contributions to the album. So, wonder if she's the hooker on the front. Uh, you know what? Let me see. I can't tell. I've seen a picture of her. It's possible. So she's kind of dressed like Poison Ivy. She's got like green, like this bright green uh, skin tight pants and stuff. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, but anyway, uh, the f- opening track on this album is called Back on the Streets. It is written by Gary Moore and Campbell. And uh, on it, we've got Gary Moore on backing vocals and hand claps. <laughs> Simon Phillips on drums, Don Airy on keyboards, lead vocals, bass and guitar by Gary Moore. And of course, written by Moore and Campbell. So here it is, the opening track, Back on the Streets. Coverdale singing this. It sounds like an early White Snake song right now. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You're right. I love when those two sing together. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's right off of uh, a Thin Lizzy album. Yep. And it's funny, and this is one of the. Uh, Gary Moore written songs, so when you get to the Phil Lynott written songs, it sounds even more. Right. <laughs> nice upbeat rocker. I like the uh, I like this little riff at the end of the that he throws in at the end of every line there. Who's playing drums on this one? Uh, Simon Brian Phillips. Downey? Simon Phillips. Yeah, I would have I would have guessed Downey if you asked me. Well, the fills didn't really sound like no. him, though. I'm by no means a, a Downey expert. I like him, though. Rocking an old Wawa solo. Yeah, this is great. Come on, John. You missed your opportunity. <laughs> Gary Marshall. <laughs> hey, if we were recording this later in the day, he might have just taken a little cat nap during the solo. Well, my first one I stayed awake for. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> your first time hearing a full <laughs> Gary Marshall solo. <laughs> Oh, there's those hand claps. Those are finger snaps, not hand claps. Yeah, they sound oh, more like gets... snaps than claps. See, I could have sworn that was Mo Foster on the on the finger snaps. <laughs> Too high pitch. <laughs> He's got more resonance. <laughs>
definitely a nice uh, opening statement for sure. Gary Morris nice putting a little stank on there on the bass. <laughs> nice. Oh. Yeah, I like that one. I love when they do a nice, like, intricate complicated ending like that. It's <laughs> like yeah. you could have ended it a million easier ways with like, no, we're going to do something really cool and interesting. So, yeah. All right, gentlemen, John, you want to open it up back on the streets? Um, yeah, I'll, um, I'll, I'll give that one a, I'll give that one a four. All right. Um, I, I, I think it was a great, a great opening track. It had a lot of, um, it had a lot of energy to it. Um, you like uh, the. It had a it had a great sound to it. it you know, it's got that great um, kind of late seventies, early eighties rock album sound to it. Uh, kind of remind me a little bit of the uh, the Michael Schenker album that we reviewed. You know, it, it, you kind of have that. I don't know. It's just that cool, like early, like late seventies, early eighties rock sound, which um, I always think is cool. But I think it's um, yeah, it was really energetic, really. Um, you know, just good stuff. And I mean, uh, our last episode with, um, um, uh, Gary Moore, um, I, I it talked about how I was like, all right, yeah, I'm really into his playing. I think he's good. So I think that I'm going to like a lot of the stuff that he's doing for sure. All right, Rich, what do you think? Cool. So I, I, it was close to getting a five from me right out of the box, mm. but I'm going to go 4.5. And the only reason being is, and I think I sent you guys the link a while ago, but there's a version out there, a live version with Gary Moore, Phil in it, uh, Phil Lina, um, Don Airy, Cozy Powell. Oh, wow. And mm. uh, I can't, why can't I think of his name? Guitar player from Thin Lizzy. Anyway. Um, Brian Robertson. Or? That is just now the, now the only one that's been in it all along or recently. Oh, okay. That's pathetic that I can't remember it. Anyway, he is, um, that version is just, that's a five. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so good. So much energy to it. Um, the harmonies with him and Phil are just so good. Um, so that would be the five version of it. But this is, if I hadn't heard that one, I'd probably give this one a five. I think it's mm. uh, an incredible way to open an album. Uh, the live versions are all great of it. Pace playing on it sounds awesome. Um, you know, down the road when you hear the live versions. But yeah, great one. Awesome. Uh, Scott Gorham. Scott right. Warm, yes, thank you. Uh, I will give it a four as well. Really great album opener. Love the energy. Love the arrangement of the song. It's like four and a half minutes, but it feels like three. Just the the how fast and driving it is. It's great. Um, really like it. All right, the next. I missed that. Did you say? Did you say four? I did. Yep. Okay. Um, this one. I wasn't going to complain. I just. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was always like. Oh, what did I, oh no! Now what? <laughs> oh no! What did I do? I'm like, I'm pretty sure he said four, but just in case he said three point five, I got a check. <laughs> um, so the next song on the album is the only song that I know very well. Uh, don't believe a word. 
Uh, it's a Phil Lynott song. We've got Brian Downey on drums, uh, Phil on vocals and bass, more on vocals and guitar. And uh, this one was originally on Johnny the Fox by Thin Lizzy. And that's how I know it, because that's the only um, Thin Lizzy album I ever really owned. I, um, mm, it's yeah, for, and it's one of those things. Well, you know what? We'll talk about it after the, after the song, but, um, here we go. Uh, don't prepare to be shocked. Prepare to be shocked. Well, I have, I have heard this version too. So, <laughs> but oh, okay. all right, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Not a word of this is true Don't believe me if I tell you Especially if I tell you That I'm in love with you Don't believe me if I tell you So you've got this, um, so if you are familiar with the Thin Lizzy version you could see why just a few years later it would be, you know, it's kind of weird to just redo a song, but this is a very, very different take on it. Mm. Yeah, but, and I think the Thin Lizzy version was a was a single too, and everything, so it's a pretty well known song. But yeah, I don't know if you know it or not, John, but it's 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 fast. It's and it's got like a, a lick that runs through the whole thing. Oh, okay. If it was that drastically different from this, um, you might know it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, very, it's very, very different. It's. Yeah, the fir- the first time I, 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 I listened to this, I, I listened to it kind of like in the background while I was doing something else, and I didn't even really pick up on it. And then the second time I was, I was paying a little more attention, and I was like noticing the lyrics and saying, wait a second. I mean, this slow, bluesy version is very it's good. It's great, yeah. Great, great guitar solo. Yeah, Sangaridi said they were going for like a Peter Green Santana black magic woman type vibe. And I think they got it pretty good. And I don't know if it's a live version or another recorded version, but out there, there's one where it starts like this. And then at the end of it, they pick it up and they go into the fast version of it. I would love that. Yeah. Well, can't be too lazy a blues song. John still got his eyes open. <laughs> <laughs> no, not and the perfect. This is a perfect example of a non-lazy blues song. This is just great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, his, he plays us so much BL that. And Phil's vocals are just incredible. So that's kind of the riff from the from the faster version, except it's faster. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because it's cool how they picked it up a little bit going to the end. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's like cool just kind of fading it out on that little slightly more upbeat ending. Yeah, it is. I mean, they probably could have gone on for another couple of minutes uh, doing solos, but... Yeah, and it's just... It's just so weird that these songs, like that, again, didn't feel like a four-minute song. It felt like a three-minute song. Right. Like you wanted it to go on longer. Like it could have very easily been a longer track. So I think there's some 15-minute mm-hmm. ones coming up that'll be like 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, now I'm interested to hear the uh, the other one to see if I, you know, know it. I actually, I actually used to do that one in a band. Oh, yeah. um, for actually for a long time, we probably did it for 10 years. It was one of the ones, you know, I used to, and John's heard me say it live. I'll be like, oh, some of the songs we're going to do tonight are for, you know, are for you. And some of them are yeah. for us. And that was one of them. <laughs> that was one of them that was for us because nobody really knew it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess in Europe and England, they know the song better. But yeah. Not so much. Uh, not so much here. But we'd do it. And we loved all of us loved playing it. You know, we did a bunch of Thin Lizzy just because we liked it. Um, you know, when but. when John and I were teenagers, we, we we've talked about this place before, but we went to Joe's Moldy Oldies. It was actually the same day I got my copy of Burn, and we went to jo- Joe's Moldy Oldies, and I I also saw this album. I'm sorry, not not this one, Johnny the Fox, um, there, and I don't know why I bought it. It was probably two bucks or whatever, and it's actually in really good shape. I still have it. Um, mm. But all I knew about Thin Lizzy was what I would have heard on the radio. So I probably knew Boys Are Back in Town, Jailbreak, and I don't know if I knew anything else. But I was like, oh, Thin Lizzy, this looks cool. Johnny the Fox, cool album cover. So I bought it. And from that opening track, I just loved it. And so I, I would listen to that album a lot. I really, really love that album. But I don't know if you guys have like a band where you, you just got one album by them and you loved it. But for unknown reasons, you just never really got any deeper into their catalog. That was me with Thin Lizzy. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know why, but I loved that album. I should have gone out and gotten a bunch more stuff. But to this day... Uh, you know, I've got some of their stuff on streaming and stuff. I've listened to some of their other albums, but that's the one that really uh, I listened to a lot. So I knew this this song really well going into it and um, would have been kind of put off by it, maybe like if I if I if I didn't expect if I didn't know what the story was behind it. But then hearing it immediately when I realized it was the same song, I, I just think it's a it's a great version. And I, I don't I don't know if I feel strongly that I, I mean i love the johnny the fox version but i don't know if i feel strongly that one is necessarily better than the other i really like them both yeah i think they stand on their own as great songs i don't think you have to i don't think you can well you can compare them but they they both come out strong yeah you know they're 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 so different that they can just be their own songs what it kind of reminded um, me of is like when they released the beatles anthology and you'd hear like some song like where they do it in six, eight time instead, or they do it like a super slow version of it. Um, or just almost like the, the white album version of revolution versus the, the, the single release, you know, something like that, where it's like, it's almost two different songs. I kind of feel like it's the same way with this. It's like, they were just throwing stuff around and saying, well, let's try it this way. Let's try it as a up tempo song. Let's try it as a slow blues, you know? Um, that's why I, I, I kind of think of them almost as two different songs, but anyway, John, what do you, how do you feel about the song? Hmm. Okay. What? Do you hear that or was that me? No, I have a feeling I'm going to hear it on your audio when you send it over, though. Yeah, that that, that happened <laughs> yesterday, yesterday, too. too. I'm, just I'm like, looking at John and he's like, he's looking all around. <laughs> <laughs> like somebody's out there being fucking obnoxious with their car horn. Like, Again? Like, <laughs> Matola's recording. <laughs> 
That's what it feels like. Jesus. They don't care about the show, John. They don't respect the show. They know we're recording. Yeah. Yeah, I guess not. Or they just want a cameo. It's like, we're going to be on the, listen, to the <laughs> listen around the 46 minute mark. You're going to hear my car horn. That's me being I, an obnoxious prick. I think it's that you have a stalker and they've kind of listened to the show enough to narrow down sort of where you live. They're not hundred percent sure. So now they're honking the horn and they'll listen to the show and be like, all right, it's louder there. So I was closer. I know I was. They're going to triangulate where you live. And then they're going to be in your hallway with an air horn. (laughs) Is that that Mr. Bill walking across the parking lot? I know I've got the right place. (laughs) We're getting warmer. Oh, in it for the long game. So where was I? Don't, don't believe a word. There we go. All right. Um, um, I liked it. Um, I'll give it a 3.5. I thought it was, um, I thought, Oh, stop it. I thought it was very, no, I thought it was, I still, I thought it was very good. I, when I first heard it though, I kind of, um, when I heard the, uh, the bass kicking and it kind of had that, um, born under a bad sign kind of, uh, vibe yeah. to it. That's where I thought it was going, but then it kind of went its own way. But it's, I mean, you, I mean, all blues songs, you can kind of be like, oh yeah, that kind of sounds like that. Any blues song, but um, but yeah, definitely not a lazy blues song. I thought it was, um, I thought this was a good version. Um, I like I said, I may or may not have heard the other one, but probably listen to it after and see. Uh, it's a hard working blues song. You probably heard it at my place when I was spinning the record, but mm-hmm. it was probably a while ago. <laughs> yeah. When we were 17 or whatever. <laughs> I got a good memory though, depending. <laughs> yeah, it was like uh, you know, entire Deep Purple concerts you don't even remember going to. <laughs> remember the past couple of years. Yeah, that's true. You remember it more now. Uh, Rich, <laughs> well, you- except, for that, except for that one night. Um, yeah, that was more after the show. <laughs> yeah. L- luckily, we have pictures of that. Um, <laughs> uh, I am going to go with a very, very strong four. It's almost almost time to give it a four point five. I'll keep it at a four. Keep it reasonable. Um, I just all the reasons I stated that guitar solo alone, you know, pushes it to a four for me. I mean, I could listen to that guitar solo all day long. And it's funny when once you, as soon as you said Black Magic Woman, he kind of feel to it 100 percent. it definitely has that they they successfully nailed that and i love the original so it's hard for me not to love this one as well and i'm excited that you don't know that much about thin lizzie so when i finally start the thin lizzie podcast you guys will be able to discover all new yeah yeah and john John can have a way to get himself to sleep in the gary moore album (laughs) (laughs) he'll wait for that episode he'll just he'll bookmark it in spotify (laughs) Oh boy, yeah, ran yeah, out of, ran out of sleepy nighty night tea. So, um. John, how, how do you how do you get yourself to sleep at night? Uh, it's called uh, Black Rose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it a tea? No, it's an album by Thin Lizzy. That's no, an album. <laughs> You've heard of Red Rose as Black Black Rose. Um, I will also give this a strong four. I really like this one, and I would probably give the same to the Thin Lizzy version. Really uh, love that that version as well. Um, and the, and thus ends my uh, uh, my most uh, knowledgeable parts of this album. <laughs> as as that's a song uh, as as mine. Although there's one more I'm very familiar with, but other than that, yeah, I don't really know the rest of it. All right. Uh, well, uh, the next track up is called Fanatical Fascists. This is a uh, Phil Line joint as well. 
Um, this one has Brian down. I'm sorry. This one has uh, Brian Downey on drums, Gary Moore, obviously, and oh, I guess it's just the three of them. Uh, yep, this is a power trio here. So fanatical, so basically, thin, basically thin Lizzie, basically thin Lizzie. It's like a, a, a punk Thin Lizzy song. I was going to say, it definitely has a punk type vibe to it. Really good guitar sound. Really big, crunchy guitar. Yeah, very big sounding. This is the most uh, Joey Ramone from that Joey Ramone look on the on the back. <laughs> and Fanatical Fascist just sounds like the most punk song ever. <laughs> just the title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it definitely sounds like they were listening to Nevermind the Bollocks when they yeah. Uh, wrote this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. EMI. That's <laughs> 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 cool, uh, Little Doppler effect, uh, like police siren on the guitar. Yeah, <laughs> they'll beat your brains in, so stop complaining. <laughs> Oh, that sounds like he's like doing like chords on the bass, I think, to like. So not to pick on Phil for his bass playing, but you can kind of see why the Babyface project might not have worked for <laughs> the little. He's a little bit of a basic bass player. Yeah. Which for what he does works just fine. It's great, right? For, yeah, for and a power trio. It's more than. Blackmore and Pace, maybe not. And this is many years later too, so I'm, I, you know, I'm right. like Pace said he, in, in 1972 or whatever, he might not have been quite there. <laughs> Seems getting tased by the police there. They're breaking up the riot. <laughs> All right, guys, settle down. <laughs> All right, fanatical fascists. Oi. 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 <laughs> Oi. <laughs> uh, from a bygone era. Okay, fanatical fascists. Mm. What do you think, John? Um, I'll, I'll give it a three. Um, I mean, I've never um, never really been into, um, into like punk or, you know, punk style stuff, um, even though I thought it was... Um, um, it, it was cool. It was, um, it was kind of, um, it was kind of basic, a little repetitive, but, um, you know, I, I enjoyed it for what it was, but, um, I don't know if it would be something I would put on again, but I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of nice to, to see that already he, uh, Gary Moore, like first three songs, they're all, uh, very similar, 
very similar sound. Like it sounds like they all belong on the album, but you know, three kind of completely different songs. So you can see he's a little um, uh, varied with his uh, styles. He's kind of giving you a little bit of uh, everything shows that they're creative. Um, but I, you know, this probably wouldn't be, I wouldn't say would be one of my favorites. All right, Rich. Um, I'm also going to go with a three, but I'm going to make an observation okay. that I was thinking about the other day is that, you know, when you guys do an album like, oh, let's say the number one ranked Aussie album, for instance, <laughs> I mean, you guys have such a history with it and such a love for it that yeah. it's, it's very easy to give it a five or a four or, you know what I mean? A high mark. Cause there's so much history there. There's so much feeling for it yep. or something like this, Gary Moore, if you didn't, any album, if you didn't listen to it before, it's very hard to give something a five, like right out of the gate yep. because you don't have any connection with it yet. You're, you're hearing it for the first time. So how could you possibly feel as strongly about it as you do for a song that you've listened to for the last 35, 40 years? Um, just, just an observation. Cause I was thinking about that the other sure. day. I was like, how can they give that a five and that, a five? but, but if you're only hearing it for the first time, yep. um, and I, I was thinking of that when listening to the bananas episode with some of the songs that I absolutely think are fives, like mm-hmm. no doubt. And one of you might've put, <laughs> put it lower than that <laughs> and deeply hurt me. But then I was thinking, I'm like, you know what? I mean, I guess first listen, yeah. maybe I wouldn't have felt that strongly about it being a five, but knowing that I've gone back to it again and again and again and again, over the years makes me realize it's a five. Mm-hmm. So this song is really maybe the second time I've ever heard it. Mm-hmm. Maybe the third, I think I would have liked it more if I had listened to it when I was a teenager, I would have a more of an affinity for it. Cause I mm-hmm. did like that kind of stuff. I did love the sex pistols. I did love, you know, the early Ramones. Um, so I probably would have really liked that song and played mm-hmm. the hell out of it and then felt more connected to it and probably given it a four or maybe three and a half four but you know as it stands now as a new song to me it's just okay the just don't care gets a little repetitive for me and um so i'm gonna say three Mm -hmm. and i i will round that out with another three i agree 100 percent. and that that is definitely that may have been an observation i uh used to tell you about demon's eye many years ago you might have used my exact argument (laughs) which is yeah but yours was invalid But yeah, it, no, it's totally true. Like if, you know, if, if I had, I often wonder, like if I, if I had gotten this album when I was 15 and listened to it a hundred times over the, over the years, I'm sure my rankings would, would change dramatically. I think if something's in your wheelhouse and you really, really dig that particular style, you're going to be more likely to give it a four or five, but you'll be more likely to be a little more neutral on it. I don't think there's anything you're going to like outwardly hate unless you listen to it multiple times, but yeah, your, your deep um, feelings for the song might, might change if you've heard it so, so many times. And of course, how, how formative were you, were the years when you listened to it? Like if you like well, for, that's it, right. for us listening to Ozzy at 12 and 13 and, and growing up with it, that's got a special place in our heart where um, quite frankly, a lot of the albums we review have that place in the heart of our listeners. And sometimes we, it's not like we're trashing the albums, but my, we might be given things 3.5s and fours where people are saying, Oh my God, that's a five. I love that album. Um, but yeah, and a lot of it just has to do with the fact that this, 
like you said earlier, this this music, you weren't going to find a Gary Moore CD in Strawberries. <laughs> like it just right. wasn't. It wasn't available at all. We not only did we mm-hmm. have we probably never heard of Gary Moore. It just the the music wasn't around. None of my friends or friends' dads had it. My dad didn't have it. So, um, right. missed the boat on a lot of the stuff, unfortunately. And we're making up for lost time now. Yeah. Um. All right. So that leads us to the last track on the first side of the album, which is an instrumental. <clears throat> This one is called Flight of the Snow Moose. <laughs> uh, this has John Mole on bass, who was the uh, bass player in the later Coliseum 2 years. Simon Phillips, Gary Moore, and Don Airy uh, coming into the fold. Although this one says it's written by Campbell and Moore, too, but it's instrumental, so I don't know what her involvement in the music part of it was, but here we go. Flight of the Snow Moose. Inspiration. Yeah, exactly. His muse. Oh, it's the Godfather all of a sudden. <laughs> I'm not hearing anything. I don't hear anything. Nate. Oops. <laughs> well, now we know what to expect. Wah, wah. Yeah. <laughs> that joke would have landed a lot better if you'd been able to hear it. <laughs> you come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding. <laughs> The Godfather with synths. If The Godfather was like a sci-fi movie, this is what it would sound like. Makes me think of that horse head pillow I'm getting pops for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> that thing is hilarious. Oh, it's real? This is where you really found one? Yeah, it's a bloody horse head pillow. <laughs> Ooh. Took a spooky turn. It's like Italian restaurant music mixed with like weird sci-fi synths. Enter the porn. (laughs) Yeah, I'm here to fix your cable. (laughs) Now we're back into like Coliseum 2 territory. Yeah. Very interesting. You got to dig the choice of having that intro for this. You know, it's very weird. This is Simon Phillips a little more in his like in his zone. Wow, this is awesome. Not disparaging Ms. Campbell, but I don't, I don't know what she was, what her contributions were to this. I don't know. For all I know, she was a, you know, a jazz fusion musician, but I, I hadn't read that. I think she had, uh, she penciled out the Moog solo for Dawn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> give me, give me some, give me my staff paper. This is what I'm thinking, Don. <laughs> But so far, it's a very, a very eclectic album. Yeah. I'd say this is the most, so far, stick out like a sore thumb one. Yeah, because it for doesn't sure. sound yeah. anything like the first three. Like, you're like, okay, this is kind of a 
a rocky, a rocky, bluesy, punky type of album, and now you're into that Coliseum Two type of stuff. Yeah, rock, blues, punk, jazz fusion. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the things that kind of haunted Gary Moore through his whole career um, until he got into the blues stuff. Is he didn't really have an, a singular identity. Like he's a metal guitarist. No, yeah. he's you know hard rock. No, he's fusion. No, he's you know. And I think this album kind of says everything about Gary Moore. He's, he can play anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, but you got to focus in if you want to create that audience. Right. I, on the other hand, like this. I like to go from one thing to another thing. Keeps it interesting for me. Yeah. I do too. I mean, I think that's that's great for an artist, but I feel like if you're making a an, an album with your band or a solo album or whatever, you should be like, all right, these songs in this style is for this project. These songs in this style is more for this project. Not that you can't no, be yourself, but, you know, I feel like maybe this doesn't belong on this album. Yeah, I know the Beatles had the exact same discussion during the White Album. Yeah. <laughs> Which, that, you don't get that, but Nate does. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Beatles went all over the place on that album. You know I mean? It could be 10 different albums. Yeah, you know, um, almost everyone else. I love almost everyone else involved was like, this should just be one album, and we should narrow it down. And Paul McCartney right. was like, screw that, let's just put it put it all out there. <laughs> and that's one of the things I really love about that album. To be honest, it's just a. Me, I think that's what most people love about that album. It, it takes you everywhere. Like that, the double bass. And I think everything I've read from, if you, if you read people, all that Gary Moore book I have that, where the hell it is, but in the back of the uh, book where it's got all these little write-ups from different people, just little blurbs about what they thought about Gary Moore, and again and again, it's just people saying he could play anything. Mm. Mm-hmm. And in this case, on this album, he did play everything. And I think from the little I've heard of him, he might have been getting a lot out of his system at this point. Like, he's got fragments he was probably working on with Coliseum and things he was working on with Thin Lizzy and things he was working on solo, just jamming it all in one album. And it, his later stuff, I think, is a little more cohesive as a full album. Yeah, yeah they're more straightforward rock. But I think this might also just been a showcase for his playing. Um, you know, this album, like, oh, look, look at all the different things I can do. Yeah, why not? If you can do it. Wow. Wow. Damn. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. That what I was thinking for a rating just bumped it up a little bit because of that <laughs> section. <laughs> you can see why Don likes playing with Simon. Yeah. I mean, there must have been just smoke coming off the fretboard at this point. This is just crazy. <laughs> it's, it's kind of it, it, Bolin-esque in the way that he 
can mm. do something like this, but then also just be like, well, oh, I'm going to do like a super straight blues with like really soulful, great blues playing. But you'd figure like a lot of blues players are kind of locked into that, but he just isn't at all. He's like, oh yeah, I do a super standard, straightforward blues solo, and then I'll do this. Like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Crazy. All right, John, what, what, did it, what did it bump the rating to, Flight of the Snow Moose? So, I mean, um, I, I was going to give it a two, I was going to give it a 2.5, just average. Um, I'll say that the, the last, like, I don't know, say minute and a half, two minutes of soloing bumped it up to a three. Um, I mean, I can't, I can't give the overall song like, you know, a, um, a high rating, not, not that it wasn't good. It's just as, you know, it's not really, um, not really my style, but I would yep. say, um, you know, with the, um, Man, when you when you just hear the 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 guitar and the drums kind of replicating each other like their their speed and precision together and almost falling apart and then going back on track, you're just like you you can't be blown away by that. Then you're made of stone. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that was very cool. Like I found some cool parts in that song, but as a whole, I feel um, probably didn't really. Um, match everything else I've heard so far on this project. I haven't heard side two yet, but we'll see how much more diverse he gets. All right, Rich. Yeah, I'm not a huge fusion fan. It never really did it for me. Um, so obviously the song falls squarely in that category. I'm going to give it a three. Um, I was also thinking 2.5 just because I probably would not go out of my way to listen to it. But the soloing is just so good on it yeah. Um, mm. that I can't not give it a three. Um, I am a slightly bigger fusion guy. I will give this one a four. I really, um, I, I really, you might. <laughs> really, really liked it. Um, uh, hit, hit a lot of the marks for me. I mean, some fusion and, and jazz. Imp- I like, I really like jazz and fusion and jazz fusion, but some of it can be just a little too out there, um, but this one would be in my jazz fusion wheelhouse. So I, I really liked it a lot. Um, okay, the next one, opening up the second side with another instrumental. This one is called Hurricane. Hmm. That's bold. Yeah. This like sounds like two instrumentals in a row. This sounds more like uh, Billy Cobham now. This one is uh, so good. This one's the same lineup as the previous instrumental. Sounds like he's going to run out of neck. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Don't worry, as a 36 fret guitar, he'll be fine. That's a bass pumping away. Yeah. Is it 
is he doubling up with what air he was playing? Yeah, At first, I, I couldn't so. tell if he was yeah. double-tracking the guitar because he's doing those bends, so that's tough to do with a pitch wheel. It's one of those things that Aerie does with Deep Purple that I really like, and he's done it his whole career. Is like I don't want to call it sound effects, but like you know what I mean. He's, he'll, he'll put like those. It's not really uh, like notes yeah. specifically. It's like those little like effects and mm-hmm. you know. He'll just like turn up the oscillator or something at the end of yeah, a note to and, make and it, it kind of adds yeah. so much to a song, the atmosphere of a song. To have a complete understanding of how to use one of those synths has just got to be. I mean, if you ever looked at one of those synthesizers and all the different buttons, it's like, and they're turning them and knowing exactly what everyone, it's the same thing with those draw bars on the mm. organ. It's just like, man. So this is like almost a more straightforward jazz fusion song than the, uh, previous right. one but another showcase for his playing yeah that's what I was thinking this one's more, a little bit more rock and jazz fusion yeah a little more in my wheelhouse so I would say like uh, we like it it's uh, something that I know of uh, more like you saying Nate I think uh, like the Billy Cobham Spectrum album yeah. type of uh, vibe This one, yeah, really reminds me of Spectrum. The drumming and the guitar playing in particular. Yeah, I think, I, you know, if you'd asked me a few years ago, I would have said Gary Moore was like, oh, he's just like a kind of a straight blues guitarist. <laughs> Could not be more wrong. Nope. Nope. Like him and Don Airy dueling right here. Really great production on the drums too. When he's doing those fills, they're really going from channel to channel. You can—it's like you're you're sitting at the kit with him here, and the here and the tom fill go from left to right. But they should be reversed because you'd be looking at them. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's like you're sitting in his seat. <laughs> That was just yes. that was just fun and all over the place. Holy cow! Ooh, it just in case there was any doubt of whether or not Moore was a guitar god, he threw that those last two <laughs> songs yeah. on there. Just like, all right, now Ooh. we'll get back to some uh, you know other songs. But I just wanted to let you know who the hell I am. <laughs> wow! All right, John Hurricane, Johnny Hurricane. What do you think of Hurricane? Woo. 
Uh, I will. Um, I, I don't know. I guess I'm just going to make a liar out of myself after the, the previous song because I'll give this one a four. Um, this one was uh, definitely a jazz fusion more in my the style that I enjoy listening to, which is uh, closer to straight ahead rock with a lot of uh, virtuoso uh, virtuosity in the the playing. And um, I really it really like held my attention. I really love the way that him and Don Airy were kind of dueling back and forth toward the last like third of the song. And then, you know, that ending. Ah, yeah, beautiful. That, was, that was that little squeak out of the, <laughs> <laughs> the keyboard killed me. Yeah. So that was great. That was great. Like nothing to dislike about that. No, nope. not at all. All right. I will also give it a four um, for all of the same reasons that John stated. And um, so I realized as it started that I, did actually know the song because they uh, I, I want to say on the live album with Ian Pace, this is the opener. Um, oh. This is how they oh, open the okay. show or it's in there. So, yeah. And so, I mean, it's a great song anyway, but picture Ian Pace playing drums on it, you know, um, takes it up to that next level for me too in the live version. But yeah, a solid four. Um, and his playing is just so good. I know. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the blues stuff he did, but I miss him doing that that kind of stuff, you know, later on in his career. Yeah. So um, hopefully Simon will bring that to deep purple. Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, I will give it a four as well. Interestingly enough, <laughs> I've kind of felt the same way about both of those songs. It's kind of interesting, but um, yeah, like, you know, we talk a million times about how you can go on YouTube or Instagram or whatever and see like a million people doing a blah, 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 all these like sweep arpeggios all over the place and it's like technically impressive but they're just nothing there but here is somebody who's just going all over like it just feels like there's something about the feeling and how he's playing these crazy things all over the fretboard like he's like just coming up with everything is so spontaneous and um feels like he's feeling it but yeah at the same time he'll lock in with don for a second and do that crazy ending that obviously they're not going to improvise that that had to be planned out but but when he's just going off and and getting crazy it's just wow just i think it's that he's just not doing chromatic runs and like you said the sweep arpeggios where it's just up and down the you know the the box he's he's playing all I mean, it's hard. It's hard to put into words because I'm not a technical guitar player. But that he's not just sticking to the, you know, the rote, um, mm-hmm. you know, guitar solo handbook kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas you can do that and sound very good. And but he's just it's coming out of him. Like he's feeling that note. He's feeling like hold that one this much longer. Mm-hmm. Or you know, go back and forth between these two notes. And just so many guitar players miss that. That you know, and it's not always about how many notes you're playing. It's it's the feel you're playing them with. It's the, you know, and, but here's an example of he played lots and lots of notes and still didn't lose the feel to me anyway. I mean, I felt no. like he was still in that. Yeah. And a perfect example of the, just, there are no wrong notes. Like you could have, you know, said any, any part of that. Oh, well that note shouldn't be included in what they're doing here, but he just made any, he basically right. made anything work. There was like one point where he was just going like he was just moving a half step up with every single little pattern he was doing and it shouldn't work, <laughs> but it just sounded so cool. You know, like um, someone, it's a, a great example of someone who knows 
what the rules are and and therefore can break them whenever he wants and 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 still be just be amazing. And as Richie says, he's searching. He just looks. He's constantly searching for a new limit or a new thing to play. And really, that's, uh, that's actually a very good description of that. Like, I feel like he sometimes is just reaching for something that he doesn't necessarily know he's going to get, but somehow he always gets there. And that that clip too. I don't know whether it's John that said it or somebody that said it about John. But if you play a wrong note, you just keep playing it until it's right. Yeah, until it works, I think it's, it works. Uh, I think yeah. it's uh, Roger Glover who says it about something that. Um, Lord was doing in one of the solos, yeah. like soloing something in one of those documentaries. Yeah, you, you play one wrong note, we'll play it again and play it a third time, and now it's the right note. <laughs> uh, I think it was pictures, pictures of home. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so um, this one, this one is called "Song uh, Song for Donna," and uh, also she co- <laughs> co-wrote this Donna one. Campbell. Yes, she's she's probably like, write this. Here's what you want to talk about: how pretty I am, and how amazing I am, and how uh, I write out all Don's keyboard parts. <laughs> um, all right, so here we go. This one's but I want Don, but I want Phil to sing this one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> song for Donna. Here we go. This is John Mole, Simon Phillips, Don Airy, and Gary Moore. His vocals are very low in the mix. Yeah. It's uh, very of its time, 1978, with those keyboards. Well, it sounds like coast to coast. Yeah, right a little here. bit. Yeah, good call. a great voice. Sounds like Gary Moore. Yeah. It sounds like he's probably like didn't like his voice or something so he's like, ah, put it down in the mix. Yeah, I don't think he was overly fond of his vocals. Which he should be. He sounds great. Yeah, it almost sounds like a demo or something where he's singing off mic. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. He's got the same mic for the guitar and the vocals. Right. The Fender Rhodes is cranked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So apparently Donna Campbell, they were together for about five years, and she was also romantically linked to Mick Jagger, Jimmy Phantom of the Stray Cats, and even pre-Sharon Ozzy Osbourne. Ooh. And uh, in this article I found about her from a few years back, it says she was once paid a thousand pounds to give a lap dance to Sylvester Stallone. (laughs) All right, that's random. Yeah. The pro groupie. Yes, right. She finagled writing credit, so I've got to give her some credit. Yeah, she did. 
guess if she played the penny whistle too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my penny whistle's upstairs. I can't bust it out. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to after that comment anyway. No. <laughs> <laughs> solo really nice solo clearly a very uh adept at playing for the song you know after what we just heard in the last two songs <laughs> it'd be great if you tried to squeeze one of those solos into this <laughs> oh there it goes <laughs> yeah So there's a good story about what happened during the mixing of this song that I have to tell after this. And I want you to just think of the sentiments behind the song and sweet, tender love ballad about your girlfriend, maybe written by her. Nice, a little, a little funky. turned up the reverb on the snare drum for this part. It's one of those uh, awkward moments in the song. You're dancing a nice slow dance with your girlfriend and then it starts to pick up a little and you guys like move a little away from each other. Like, do we start dancing faster <laughs> or? <laughs> when they start, yeah, when they start slapping the bass, you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> do we need to get off the dance floor? That was song for Donna. What do we uh what do we think of that one? Almost sounds like a the the lost trapeze song. Yeah. It does. After it, you mentioned it, I'm like, yep. yeah, I can hear coast to coast. I can even hear the vocals being like a little uh Husey-esque. There's also that song on uh hair that sounds like um Ethel Merman singing. Oh, once upon a looking for Donna time. You know that one? <laughs> Oh, Donna. Oh, oh, Donna. <laughs> you just wanted to break out the Ethel Merman. <laughs> yeah, I had to. <laughs> well, just, it, I just wanted to mention that song, and then I realized, oh, it kind of sounds like Ethel Merman. I don't think she was in here, though. I was just starting that episode uh, on the uh, 70s podcast there with you guys, mm-hmm. and I got as far as Nate singing. <laughs> it won't be the last time. <laughs> oh, good. Between me and John, there's plenty of Ethel Merman impressions in that episode. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, if you want to hear that, go look for it. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're not helping you. Go find it. <laughs> yeah, good. If you want to hear that, good luck. 70s Weekly. Google Deep Purple Ethel Merman. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, we, yeah, her, her disco album was called the Ethel Merman Disco Album. So we, we talked about how that sounds like we came up with the name for it. Uh, All right. Song for Donna, John. What do you think? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll give it a three. Um, I feel like I was largely, um, I guess you could say disinterested in the song, but I was like, I was listening to it. I was grooving along. I, I realized like toward the end, I'm like, wow, I almost like didn't have any input. Like you guys were talking. I was just kind of like listening to it a little bit. So um, with songs like this, I usually say it, it was pleasant, but um, <clears throat> not objectionable, but I don't, I didn't see anything um, very um, outstanding <clears throat> about it. Um, you know, in terms of everything else that we heard, like, you know, we had we had rock and we had uh, very like crazy soloing. Uh, this was just good. All right. Rich. Um, John, nice Christmas bush, by the way, in the background. Just noticed that. Thank you. <laughs> um, I am also going to go with a three. I actually was contemplating a 2.5, uh, not because it's bad. Mm. Just like you said, it just it's sort of there like. Yeah. I'm very of its time, definitely, you know, 78 sounding. So I try to put it in context and think, okay, if I heard this in 1978 compared to the other stuff going on in 1978, I probably would have liked it better than most of the other stuff in 78. So um, I'm going to give it the three based pretty much all on that solo. It was such a tasty guitar solo that I think it bumped it up from the 2.5 to three for me. And that's just for me, folks. Don't, don't write hate mail. That's my job. <laughs> All the, our first hate mail is going to come in the, because of your rating of a song for Donna. <laughs> and it'll and it'll come from me. <laughs> what the hell is he thinking? You're going to listen back. You're like, oh, I should have given it a four. Um, I will also give it a three. Um, I would have loved to hear the vocals louder in the mix because I think he's mm. singing really nicely. But it just it seemed like for a song like this, the vocals should be really up front. Uh, it's the only song that I've noticed so far. <laughs> I should probably tell my story about the mix. <laughs> Maybe it makes sense as to why it wasn't mixed that great. <laughs> oh, it just occurred to me. Um, okay, so in the Gary Moore biography there, uh, which is uh, you can find online. I'll have a link in the show notes. It's written by Harry Shapiro. It's a re really well done biography on Gary Moore. So during the mixing, Sangarides said he was at the desk. Then all of a sudden... Ozzy, uh, Bill Ward, and Geezer Butler all walked in, and they were like interested in the track. And he's like, "Oh, play that back, th that back to us, and everything." And then all of a sudden, Bill Ward just turned around and threw up in the trash can. <laughs> and then Ozzy started just like going crazy and like running around. Apparently, he had. I know it's hard to believe, but he had just done a lot of cocaine. So he, no. he, really, said, really? he said he had his arms out like this and he just ran straight into a wall and he had to go <laughs> to the hospital because he was all banged up. Um, and he was chasing around. Um, he was chasing around one of the tape operators who was named Vic. And he said that Ozzy pulled his pants down while he was doing this and was chasing Vic around and like saying stuff like he wanted to have sex with him or whatever. Um, and it's the wall. So he goes to the hospital and then they're like, okay, well, I guess we can get back to mixing and then Tony Iommi calls and is like hey what the hell did you do to Ozzy and Chris is like what me I didn't do anything he ran into a wall so he gets back from the hospital and comes back to the studios um, he's like okay well I'm done with that little episode got stitched up or whatever I don't know what what he was injured or, or whatever. So he says he's mixing. He's at the board. He's working on the mix and he feels a tap on his shoulder and he looks over and it's just Ozzy's dick just on his shoulder. 
<laughs> so, um, so he and and so, yeah, that could be why the vocals are made slow. <laughs> yeah, the mix is so on the mix. Uh, I'm done. Hey, I'm done. I'm out of here. Uh, so it's yeah, it's funny because it's a great story, and I was like, huh, the mix on the song's a little off. I'm like, oh yeah, my story. Um, and Sangaridi said the trick on the shoulder was like a famous Aussie trick that he would do to people. <laughs> so. Great. So yeah, so famous, um, yeah. What a, what a great trick! Tri- what a great trick! <laughs> was, I love that he, his his yeah his exact quote was it was a famous Aussie trick. <laughs> yeah, the old dick on the shoulder. Yeah. Oh, you got me. Yeah, how do me? You know, magicians never give away how they do their tricks, so we'll never know how Aussie did that one. But um, <laughs> it reminds me of that like the video you see of like the person goes to the zoo and they like show a monkey like a ball and a cup, and then they clearly take the ball out of the cup and then show the cup back to the monkey and the monkey's like what it's like mind is blown (laughs) it's that kind of a trick it's like oh my god how did ozzy do that (laughs) we'll never know oh my goodness so yeah so so ozzy just managed it's gonna be hard to beat the deck on the shoulder (laughs) it's a it's a classic so yeah so the uh, ozzy gets in and um uh uh and and somehow uh um Adds his adds this his legacy to this this <laughs> obscure Gary Moore album. It's the uh, well that probably gives it a higher rating on your show. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna bump this up to a five. <laughs> so I'm wondering if Ball Shoulders anywhere near Ball Drick or Ball Bridge or whatever. <laughs> ball, balls Bridge. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway. All right, so uh, the next track up is the last instrumental on the track, and this one is called What Would You Rather Be or Wasp? Weird name. Again, Simon Phillips, John Mole, Don Airy. So now we're just some like jazz funk. Yeah, it's like e- each track gets a little jazzier. What uh, late '70s sitcom is this the theme to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. God. Sound. 
You know, it's very, very room ambient. I'd say with every uh, solo I hear more play, he's he's quickly moving up my guitar rankings, my personal guitar rankings. Just a master. I'd say the backing track, while his soloing is amazing, the backing track for this one is a little as funky as it is. It's a little more nondescript than the other two, in my opinion. this might have been an 11-minute track, and they're like, well, faded around the five-minute mark. I think it was just the the second half of the, the first one on this side. Yeah, <laughs> it could have been. Oh, I just saw the uh, horse head pillow you sent. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. It'd be great if, like, if you, if you leaned on it, it had, like, a little pouch that actually leaked out some blood. <laughs> oh. I'm sure I could... Cut it open and put yeah, a bag in. Yeah, you can bring something up. <laughs> but can you get it done before Christmas? <laughs> All right. That was Would You Rather Be or Wasp? John, what do you think? Yeah, definitely a uh, definitely a fusion song title. Like, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, is this going to be another fusion song? That's <laughs> like a very weird. Yeah, he's got these weird, weird titles. The only one that has like a normal one is Hurricane. The other two just have weird. Flight of the Snow yeah. Moose. You know, it's weird, weird noise. That was probably one of the... I guess that's the advantage of having an instrumental. You could call it whatever you want. Mm. Um, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, give this, um, I'll give this one a three. Um, I thought it was... I thought it had some good playing in it, but, um, you know, uh, um, you know, some good... Um, some good riffs. Yeah. You know, it was, it was pretty... It was pretty neat. Like, a little funky. A um, little bit different than the other... I guess kind of fusion tracks. Um, but, um, yeah, nothing, nothing on this one really grabbed me that much. All right. 
Rich? Not like, not like Ozzy's dick on your shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> Don't grab it. <laughs> Who knows what he's capable of? Don't touch it. Yeah, but I mean, I didn't give that last song a higher rating because of it. <laughs> Seems like it would be leaking all over you. I don't know. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I think I'm also going to go three. I was thinking 3.5 because I do. I like the funkiness of it. I was really into it when it was playing, but I, don't, I might just be fatigued at this point of the jazz fusion since I'm not a huge fan of jazz fusion. And so that if that one had been first, maybe that would have been the four. Mm-hmm. And the other one might have been the three. I'm not sure because, I mean, I... There was nothing I didn't like about it. I just felt like, oh, okay, I had enough of that now. So I'm going to go three. Okay, I'll go or with I guess three. I could go 3.5 and go back to the other one, make that 3.5 and just average it out. But nah, three. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll do the same. I'll give it a three. I actually almost toyed with a 2.5. This one, for some reason, didn't land with me the same way as the other two with, that I mm. really liked. Um, but yeah, I think it was just the... Yeah, maybe you said, like you said, it's maybe a little fatigue. I think throwing in like a... Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of the, the the Stevie Wonder. What's the Stevie Wonder song on Songs of the Key of Life? The the, the fusion track he throws in there, like just kind of uh, right before Sir Duke Contusion, I think is the name of it. Um, he just throws that in there, and it's like whoa, just like this weird fusion song, and then he goes into Sir Duke, which you hear in every grocery store in America about mm-hmm. fifteen and, times and how, a day. And how I learned to play a major chord from Sir Duke. Yeah, my brother sat me down at the piano and I was like, he's like, listen, if anytime you want to play a major chord, you just take the first note and he goes, and you play Sir Duke. <laughs> and that's a major Just don't chord. put the octave in. Yeah, yes. Right. I'm like, damn, he's right. <laughs> that's a good, yeah, I never thought about that, but... Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, yeah, it's it, it was good. I mean, the playing was amazing. Uh, and I like that. No, 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 no. Those things were really cool, cool little riffs. But yeah, overall, um, didn't didn't land with me the same way the others two did. So that brings us to our final track on the album, which is the track. Uh, this one is written by Moore and Linet, and this is called Parisian Walkways. So this is again Downey on drums. Pretty sure there's a uh, good video of uh, Simon playing this. Oh yeah, like playing along to the track or something. Just yeah, there's also him playing it with Dawn live. Oh nice. <laughs> this is a song where you just list thing you know about about Paris. <laughs> Apparently on this solo, there's like there was no click track, and Moore just had to know exactly when to come in with the band. 
don't know if it's here. This is a really nice closer for an album. And a hit single. And a hit single. I think it was uh, top 10. I don't think it was number one, but I think it was top 10. Really? Let's see. Yeah. Not here. No. Let's see here. Yeah, it's like his signature track. So number eight in the UK singles chart, five in the Irish singles chart. a common encore track for Gary Moore. It's got to be the shortest version of that song. Yeah, yeah. That's funny because, you know, you go through this like five minute fusion song and then this one Mm -hmm. seems very, very short. Well, in every version of that song I think I've ever heard, mostly live, they're all like seven, eight minutes because he just solos and solos and solos and it's great. I mean... Oh, yeah. I mean... I, I strongly urge you to hunt down as many versions of that as you can live because his playing is just mind blowing on it. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be looking that up for sure on uh, YouTube. Um, so th- this, uh, the, the lyrics apparently on the lyric sheet were, um, I remember Paris in the fall tonight, but line it, change it to, I remember Paris in 49 because 49 was the year he was born and his father's name was Paris. Um, mm. So just kind of as a tribute to his father, a lament for the father he never had. Hmm. Um, so apparently they did this, uh, Don Arian Moore had worked on this in Coliseum and they called it Biscayne Blues, uh, which was based on a Kenny Dorham song called Blue Bossa, which was a Bossa Nova style song. And they kind of worked on this and they had it lying around. So they brought it in to, to Phil and uh, he, he wrote the lyrics and that's how the song took shape. Cool. All right. What do we think, John? Um, I'll give um, I'll give a three point five. Um, I thought it was um, this this version was a um, it was a nice uh, end to the album. Very um, very good, like melodic, um, guitar parts. Um, I could, I mean, I wouldn't have known if you guys weren't talking about it, but I can see how this could be extended into a really long emotional, um centerpiece for a, a guitar solo like to build on what he already did here but um as as impressive as it is all the really fast fret work that he was doing just doing that really um you know slow melodic type of stuff he was doing here is i think equally as impressive uh just to you know to build that emotion i thought it was nice all right rich yeah i i love this i love his playing on this song actually um I'm going to give it a four. And the only thing that prevents it from being a 4.5 is that one harmony just 
goes right up my ass sideways <laughs> is that looking back on the looking back at the photographs it just sounds out of key to me i know it's probably not but mm-hmm. it just it it grates on me every time i hear it and the live versions you don't get that um there's actually uh gary moore played with um greg lake on his solo album or albums <clears throat> and there's a couple live recordings in playing and they do a version of of this and uh he sounds great uh greg lake sounds great singing it with him um and i so i tend to always go for the live versions but i can't take away from obviously this is the original version of it so i can't give it a bad mark just because i'm comparing it to all the other great live versions so so i will go with the four all that said you know what i just like to hear myself talk so (laughs) (laughs) i'll talk in a circle and get right back to four um i'll give it a four as well really like it and i i've never heard a live version of it but i can even never hearing it i could just imagine it what he would do in a live setting with the solos and how it would be nine minutes long instead of three. And well, that one note that he plays right at the beginning of solo where he holds it, yep. you know, for four count or whatever live, he'll hold that note for like 30 <laughs> seconds. Jeez. It's just like, what? it's like spinal tap. I could leave and it would still be, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's um, but that's yeah, you, I'll, I'll try to find some, some of the, the, the stellar versions that I think are great and send them off to you guys. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Good. Cool. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, that's the album, I guess. So, oh, um, uh, we don't do bonus tracks. No, we can I do know. a Gary Moore bonus tracks episode sometime. Yeah, I guess. Apparently there's a, ninth... I'll be honest. I good. No, there's a ninth track called track nine <laughs> on the bonus track. Cleverly created. Um, I don't, it's the, the, so obviously again, I didn't hear this album until later. So I don't know if the songs that are considered bonus tracks on the eventual release were, excuse me. Yeah, that's what happens when we record this early in the morning. Um, <laughs> that's when it happens to record late at night. Or so maybe afternoon. I was rubbing off on Rich talking about oh, Gary Moore. Almost noon. Um, <laughs> so, so early. <laughs> dude, it's still too early for me. Um, but yeah, the uh, I don't know if the bonus tracks were like tack ons of like oh we have this extra song and mm. or whether they were recorded for this album and didn't make it because um, I I don't think they necessarily fit perfectly. But yeah, track nine, if I recall, is actually really good. Um, and the other one is Spanish guitar, and there's like three or four versions of that one with him singing, one with Bill singing, yeah, an instrumental version. The instrumental version is the winner. Um, it's some of his best playing. It's very much like that last song, Parisian Walkways, just soulful, slow, melodic playing um, with obviously a little bit of a Spanish tinge. Yeah. Yeah. And it looks like on the 89 reissue, of course, they they love to just do this. They just moved the song order completely all around. Um, right. Put Spanish guitar right in the middle and then, um, yeah, track nine and then three extra versions of Spanish guitar. So, yeah, I'm going to be listening to that later. I want to hear those other songs. Um. All right. Uh, well, you know what time it is, folks. As we, um, as John fumbles with the spreadsheet, I will uh, move on and thank our next round of patrons. And coming in at the foundation level, at the three dollar and fifty cent tier, the deep purple New York tier, we have Lord Longford. At the three-pound aromatic feed tier, we have Simon Ford and Richard Brees. 
At the $3.33 halfway to evil tier, we have Stephen Sharp and Duncan Leesk. And at the $3 nobody's perfect tier, Peter Gardo. Uh, we have Ian DeRosier. The Prague Frog himself. We have Mark that. Roback. Oh, I didn't ask my first. <laughs> He's the Prague Frog. Stuart McCord. <laughs> then we have <laughs> Ivan Fieldboo. Runar Siemensen. JJ Stenard and Ruinous Inadequacies. Uh, we also have none other than John Maselli. All right, all right, all right. I'll bowl. I'll bowl, but I won't have any fun. <laughs> I don't know if I left too much on that. <laughs> Michael Boyette and Corey Morissette. Hey, and it's my ball. <laughs> <laughs> At the one dollar and seventy one cent, I want my own tier tier. We have none other than Rich. And at the 10 kroner tier, we have Karsten Lau. And at the $1 made-up name tier, we have the lying in the shadow of the tomb, Leaky Mausoleum. Steven Somerville, the Concerto 1999 Fanatic, Hank the Tank, Private Eyes, Ashen Lionel. <laughs> Blackmore tights. Steve down to earth Kohler, Zwapper the Electric Alchemist, Anders Engstrom, Ashley Still I Hear, Burn Rose, and ICDC. Thank you to so much to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple Podcast. All right, you know what time it oh, is. Wait a minute, I, I have a question. Cheat <laughs> and he's fumbling with the tabs. All right. Sorry. What were you going to say, Rich? <laughs> well, first of all, what's the last thing he says? He can't figure out what? What's the last word of that? I can't He's tell fumbling with bad. the tabs. Oh, what is bad? Okay. Oh, he can't That's, tell yeah. what is bad. Sorry. I, I can't tell what is bad. 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 I just got to have it for my cover. Yeah, I want to make sure you're authentic. <laughs> um, I'll send you the so, lyric sheet. <laughs> are there three Norwegians now? There are three Norwegians, yeah. There have oh, been for a while. You might yeah. have to... We might have to, well, I know, but I, you know, you just kind of space out and just hear the song. Don't really think about it. Yeah. But there's the, one in the other segment and then two in the yeah. final segment. Yeah. There's one guy that really is contributing. And then the other two, um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shots fired. <laughs> Said the man in one of the lowest tiers. Um, <laughs> but I always just fall back on the, yeah, yeah. Well, you guys didn't introduce him to Roger Glover. Um, That's right. Yeah. The introduction <laughs> to Roger Glover tier. Um, I just, I think maybe that requires a trip to, uh, to that part of the world. Oh, for, for sure. I think the three of us should go there and do a live remote. A live, live from hell, live from hell. Yeah, Norway. there you go. Yes. I've been looking for a reason I'm to in. get out there. Yep. I think, I think, you know, let me know when the Patreon money's there. <laughs> It'll be a while. <laughs> well, as I've said before, I can, I can finagle a trip to, to Jersey or Philly and get away with it without taking Jen, but she's not going to fly for me going to Scandinavia without her. 
I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think she particularly cares for me. If you say I'm going, maybe she'll be like, nah, I'm not going. <laughs> no, she'll be like, you better take me to, you better forget, take me to Norway with you. If we got, if we come in April and she gets a full dose of me, you might be safe to travel anywhere in the world. <laughs> She'd be like, oh, you're her. going to Norway. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, Rich, the other option bye. is Rich could stay with us for a week. No, go to Norway for as long as you need. Yeah. <laughs> so what? <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So John, where does back on the streets land in our uh, overall album rankings? Mm, don't know. It's not on here. <laughs> I tried to warn you before you read all the patrons, but you there. didn't. No. The, uh, the corridors of power I feel is. Like I'm back oh, the... that's the problem. I never changed it. Yes. All right. Sometimes now... I feel like I'm back on the sheet again. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Now it's there. Made a there little... it is. All right. Back on the streets. Mm-hmm. All right, and wh- um, where's where's Rich's rating? Oh, okay. Here, while John does that, I'll- <laughs> <laughs> I have the spreadsheet and is fumbling with the tabs. He sorted it the wrong way. Now he can't see what is bad. <laughs> bad. Bad. I got to work on the bad. The bad. Bad. I couldn't nail it. That's why I made the new version, but then we just ended up <laughs> missing the old version. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Rich, Rich's ranking should be on there now. Yes, it is. Okay. We're, we're, so. we're sailing into the into the new year on fumes, guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're doing great here. Doing great. All right, so... Let's see. Back on the streets gets a solid uh, seven, which um, I would say is in um, yeah, least, hmm, bottom half. I would say of the ratings. Yeah, not bad. Really? So, yeah, not not terrible. But uh, there are there are actually a bunch of other sevens on on uh, said spreadsheet. Oh yeah. So what are they? You may ask. So it is um, neck and neck with a uh, deep purple, deep purple. Uh, Ian Gillen Band's Child in Time, Deep Purple Bananas, Rich, oh. um, and <laughs> and then Gary Moore, all sevens. There you go. Um, so, yeah, and uh, let me see. And then in terms of our individual rankings here, it looks like, um, looks like Nate ranked at the highest, uh, followed by Rich, just a little bit lower, and then me, the lowest. All right. So, yeah. Not bad. Um, I'm, I'm a little surprised. I felt like as we were uh, doing it, it was going to be slightly higher. Yeah, I mean, it's... You, know, well, you were three, 3.56, and Nate was 3.63. So, I mean, not, like, like we, too much. Like we say, it's, I mean, if you go one point higher, you get into, you know, in rock, perpendicular, ready and willing territory. So, it's, you know, yeah, it's... Yeah, that's true, it's, I guess. But. It's, ranked, it's ranked amongst a lot of really good albums, so... Right. You know. Yeah, I mean, and you guys screwed all those up, so I mean, it's hard to you know then put my correct ratings. <laughs> exactly. We, we threw it all off. <laughs> but, you guys do the curve off. <laughs> um, no, I'm yeah. coming to peace. I'm coming to peace with most of it. Although bananas threw me for a loop. Not gonna lie. All right. Well, I was just disappointed because I thought John was really gonna like that one better. I think he needs to listen to doing it tonight a few more times. I do too. Come I, and listen, he ha- he heard a couple of those songs in my car more than once, and was like, "Oh, I really like this one. Oh, it's really good." But then- was he awake? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Gary Moore. Like 
Gary Moore doesn't play on that one at all. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. I like it. (laughs) So... As we stated, you know, we released the single, which made it to number eight in the UK charts, the Parisian Walkways. A uh, couple little tidbits that I saw on 45 Worlds. Uh, Kimbo ZW says, uh, for what it's worth, it charted in the UK for one week at precisely the precision of number 70. His highest album charter was number four uh, uh, after hours from 1992. Uh it's according to the Virgin Books issued hit albums covering the period 1956 to 2008. And then Mick Smith says, uh, although given the 1978 release date, I believe this was released in January of 1979 with Back in the Street single releasing in December of 78. So there's some issue of the exact date of release, which there almost always is. Nobody seems to get any, uh, uh, nobody ever seems to have any uh, exact idea. Um, and then what else here? Oh yeah. Sangariti says of the album, it was a strange album, Coliseum 2, Thin Lizzy, and a bit of punk are coming because, um, Paul Cook and Steve Jones shipped up and we did a few songs with them, which never came out. So there you go. What was that? Who, who he says, uh, Paul Cook and Steve Jones. With Gary Moore? That's what he says. Yeah. I mean, those are the two guys from Sex Pistols, yeah. right? Well, so that would explain the Sex Pistols vibe, but yeah, no kidding. Okay, I don't. That's what's that's coming directly from Sangaridis in that Gary Moore book. So, yeah. unless he's pulling our chain, um, yeah. And this gets uh, this doesn't get a great review on All Music, but All Music is sometimes a little bit weird. But I'll put the review in the show notes. But um, yeah, kind of all I got for Gary yeah. Moore. I'm, I'm, uh, I will say that you know this was a, you know, a very, um, kind of album that was kind of eye opening all over the place. <laughs> it was, it was eye opening, and it was, it was a his, mixed bag. His, it was a mixed bag, but which, which makes it sound worse than it was. It was really good, but it was very eclectic. It, um, but it makes me very eager to hear more of <laughs> to hear more to hear more more. <laughs> Um, more, because just we want more. We want more. Give us more. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited to. Uh, you'll have to join us again, Rich, when we dive into his future albums. And uh, Hells yeah, and uh, yeah, really excited to Great. get into them. So, hey, so why do you have a picture up behind you of Ringo Starr and it says Nate Beaudry? Because <laughs> <laughs> that is Nate Beaudry. That's, oh, because it's not Ringo Starr. <laughs> Oh, well, there you go. That's the short answer. That was Nate's Ringo phase. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's my, my well-known Ringo phase. But, <laughs> but all right. So. Well, boys, thank you very much for having me. I always enjoy it. I enjoyed this one especially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of fun. Looking yeah, forward sure to it. sure it's because I was groggy from, you know, just waking up. <laughs> it's noon. He's getting a little. <laughs> he's starting to wipe the sleep dust from his eyes. <laughs> well, when did you get a text from me last night? At what, like 2 in the morning? 2.30 yeah, in the morning? Up. I actually woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, ah, I'll answer him in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I text him. I'm like, what time is the podcast in the morning? I'm trying to figure out how much sleep I can get. <laughs> oh, All right, it's guys. always a pleasure. Always a pleasure talking music with you. With you, gents. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And we will see you next week with another All thing right. to be decided. Um, I think we know what we're doing. I don't know. Ah, we'll, we'll find out. Yeah, we'll see. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> see you next week. 
Say ya. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. And so I'm just like, all right, so make a new playlist. All right, how do you do that? So he made us, okay, name it. So he named it and he misspelled it. So it says Christ Man Playlist. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's still kind of accurate. <laughs>